Well, good morning. Welcome to week number two in our series, Future Family. And uh, we started this series last week, kind of an overview, an introductory message. And we want to go a little bit deeper today. Uh, specifically, what I'd like us to, to think about is really, it's going to be a game changer. We're going we're gonna to look at a one question that in our marriages, in our families, if we would just begin to ask this question, it's a total game changer. But before we do that, just a real quick uh, review. Last week we talked about uh, really when it comes to our families, the whole idea of real versus ideal. Real versus ideal. You know, there's kind of this ideal of what we want our marriages to look like, what we want our families to look like, and then there's reality. Uh, that they don't oftentimes, in fact, most of the time, measure up to the ideal. And, and so there's this kind of tension there uh, that we have to, first of all, recognize, and then we have to decide what are we going to do with this tension between real uh, versus ideal. And, and what's very interesting is when you think about it, maybe today our marriages are not everything ideally that we'd like for them to be. Uh, the, the reality is a little short of the ideal. Maybe our families are not really ideal but you know what whenever we think about it don't we we always want the ideal for our children don't we as parents that's what we're always thinking of boy I hope even though my personal experiences haven't been so wonderful and all but for my kids I hope that they go farther I hope that they experience better I hope for the ideal for them in the future even though my personal reality may not be that close to the ideal. And what we discovered last week that when Jesus, when God sends Jesus Christ, uh, the Son of God, our Savior, Jesus always taught unreachable ideals while never condemning people when they missed out on them. He always taught what seemed like unreachable ideals but he never, he never lowered the bar. In fact, we looked at he raised the bar time and time again from what the Old Testament told us but when people fell short, he never condemned them. And, and the reason for this is Jesus was full of grace and truth. And we need to maintain that tension as well. Grace and truth. If we lose sight of the grace and just the truth, well, you know what? That's what the, the Old Testament was all about. The law, the law, the law. If we, if we all go just to the grace side, then there's no real standard at all and we lose sight of the ideal. And, and I love how the scripture puts this in John chapter 1, verse 14. Speaking of Jesus, it says, the word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. We have seen his glory, the glory of the one and only Son who came from the Father, there it is, full of grace and truth. And that's another tension that we need to uh, also recognize is grace and truth. And when we focus on those two things, truth is the standard, it's the ideal. Grace is what? Grace is the reality. When we come short, when we fall short, there's grace for us. And, and recently, just studying up a little bit in preparation for this uh, message, I came across this great quote by uh, Mark Batterson. He's a great author, uh, pastor of National Community Church in Washington, D.C. that's actually helped us out some here at Valley uh, with our multi-site uh, strategy and approach. And this is what Mark Batterson said. Grace means I'll love you no matter what. Truth means I'll be honest no matter what. Isn't that beautiful? That tension there. I love you no matter what, and it, that's, that's grace, and then truth is, I'll be honest with you no matter what. And, and if we can just maintain that tension, just as Jesus did, because he was full of grace and truth, 
you know what, we'll get a lot closer to reaching that ideal that God has for you and for me in our marriages, in our families. Maybe you're here and you're not even married today. In your future marriage, in your future family. So that's kind of the backdrop uh, of this series. And, and last week, we, we kind of concluded by asking a couple of questions. Are we willing to embrace a standard that many of us have fallen short of or will, fa- will fall or will we redefine terms until we feel good about where we are right now? Will we lower the standard, which is not what Jesus did, full of grace and truth, or, or will we embrace the standard that God has for us and receive his grace and still stretch by the power of the Holy Spirit toward that ideal as well? And the second question that we asked last week is this, are we willing to aim our children toward a destination that we never reached or will we redefine it as normal? And so really, as Jesus' followers, and maybe you're here today and you're just kind of checking out, uh, what, what is this whole Jesus thing, this Valley Christian Church thing about? But as a follower of Jesus Christ, if you are a Christian, uh, we really don't have many other options, do we? Uh, Jesus didn't leave us with really many other options. And, and today, just springboarding off that introductory message last week, uh, I, I want to look at what I would say, and probably most uh, people that know the Bible would say, is probably uh, the most controversial verse in the Bible, particularly when it comes to family and marriage. Uh, A lot of common misunderstanding about this, and I think it's time we're gonna go real slow uh, through this, but this is one of the most controversial and misunderstood verses in all the Bible. Ephesians chapter five, verse 22, here it is. Wives, submit yourselves to your own husbands as you do to the Lord. Amen, hallelujah, have a great day. Not really. This verse right here, it is pretty interesting uh, when we understand the context of what this is really talking about. First of all, let me just point out, it's addressed to who? Wives. It's not addressed to husbands. I, I, I've heard husbands before you know, ask me, well, what about that verse, wives? I'm like, you know, that's not really addressed to you. That's not talking about you. There's plenty of verses that say husbands and fathers. We're gonna look at some of those over the next few weeks as well. But, but this is addressed to wives, it's not addressed to women in general. Pretty wild, one time I was uh, teaching on this actual passage here, and uh, there was a first time guest with us, he's about 20 something, young single guy, and uh, he came up afterwards and, and he said, Pastor, you got it all wrong. And I said, what, what do you mean I have it all wrong? And he said, because I am a man, every woman should be submitted to me. I have authority over every female, because I'm a man. And I just said, why don't you go tell that to my wife standing right over there? It's not going to go real well for you. What what a total misunderstanding and misapplication of this passage. Because I'm male, every woman must submit to me. That's not what it says. It says, wives, those of you who are married, ladies that are married, submit yourselves to your own husbands, not to every man, not to every male, as you do to the Lord. What's interesting about this verse and why it's been so misunderstood so often is this verse, Ephesians 5.22, is an application of a commandment that's to all followers of Jesus Christ. Let me say that again. This verse is an application to wives of a commandment 
that is to every follower of Jesus Christ. And, and it's a powerful relational tool that teaches us and instructs us. And, and really, when we can get a hold of this idea of what is submit, what is submission, it will revolutionize and transform our marriages, and it will revolutionize and transform our families. But again, this verse, Ephesians 5.22, is the application of a, two wives of a commandment that is to all Christians. Where is that commandment? It's the verse right above it. It's the verse right above it. Look what Ephesians 5.21 says. Submit to one another. One another. That's everyone in the family of God. That's believer to believer. That's submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. That word reverence is pretty interesting. It, it's the word, it really means awe. Out of awe for Christ. Not out of reverence for one another. Don't, don't submit because someone's perfect, because someone always makes the right decisions. Don't, don't submit because you always agree and, 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 and that's proven. What are we supposed to submit for? Out of reverence for Christ, because Christ was perfect. Because Christ is the Lord of my life. It's not based on circumstances. It's not based on opinion. It's totally based on the perfection of Jesus Christ. And what's very interesting about this passage, doing some background research, Ephesians 5.21, many of the older translations of the Bible actually cut this passage and start a brand new paragraph with wives submit to your husbands and disconnect this passage, which is the commandment, from that application. And it's interesting, some of the updated translations of the Bible, like the NIV, for instance, that I have here, when they updated it, they changed it. And so above it, there's a heading, and it says, instructions for Christian households. Then it says this verse. First thing, under instructions for Christian household. Whereas other translations, you know, 100 years ago, even 50, 60 years ago, this was not included in instructions to the family because there was somewhat of a bias sometimes as to where you put the breaks, the, the, the spaces in the translation of Scripture, which, by the way, there are no spaces. There are no punctuation either in Greek. It's pretty interesting. But this is the commandment to every follower of Jesus Christ, and it's not conditional at all. The only, I guess you'd say, the only condition is because of Christ's perfection. Submit to one another out of reverence, out of awe to Jesus Christ. Here the Apostle Paul, by the, the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, God himself is inspiring him what to write. He's giving a principle of doing for one another what Jesus Christ has done for you and I. Of modeling, following the model to one another Christian to Christian, inside the context of family, most certainly, that's the main application here. One to another, what Jesus Christ has already done for us. As our powerful Jesus Christ, our Savior, leveraged his power for your benefit and for my benefit, that's what it means ultimately to submit, is to leverage our power, my personal power, my personal influence, my personal abilities to benefit you. That's what the word submission really means. And Jesus Christ showed us this, that he put you and he put me ahead of himself. He put us first, ahead of his own comfort, 
ahead of even his own desires. What a beautiful picture in the Garden of Gethsemane when he actually prays, Father, if there's any other way, let this cup pass from me. And then in that moment, nevertheless, not my will, but yours be done. And isn't that, doesn't that just sum up the whole Christian life? The closer we get to Jesus, the more that we must continually say, it's not my will, it's not about me. Your will be done. Your will be done, Lord. And Jesus shows us that in a beautiful way. And that is what he's expecting of each and every one of his followers. That's what this verse is talking about. To husbands and to wives and to children and to men and to women. Submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. So let's look now at what mutual submission looks like in the family. Because that's what that verse is talking about. Mutual submission. Not just submission at the top, but from the top down as well. That really is a game changer, particularly in the culture 2,000 years ago, in, in the Jewish culture and the Greek culture. This was revolutionary. Just about as revolutionary as it is in American culture today. Submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. What does mutual submission look like in the family? Well, first of all, mutual submission says this, I'm here for you. Isn't that what Jesus said? I'm here for you. The Father sent me. The Father sent me to reveal his love to you. I'm here for you. That's the language, that's, the, that's what mutual submission says. Regardless of your place in the family, I'm going to leverage my power, my influence, my resources for your benefit, even if it costs me mine. Personal benefit, my personal comfort. That's what Jesus did. And that's what submission really looks like. Mutual submission says, I'm here for you. Here's the second thing about mutual submission. Three things we're looking at today. The first is, I'm here for you. The second thing about mutual submission is this. Mutual submission acknowledges you are of no less value than me. You are of no less value to me. You are of no less value than me. I'm not more important than you are. Mutual submission recognizes this. And this is the framework and the perspective of what it truly means to be submitted to one another. While our responsibilities may differ, while our roles may differ, no one is of less value than someone else. No one is of less value than someone else. From the womb to the grave, we all have equal value. Different roles different responsibility, but mutual submission acknowledges you are of no less value than me. And boy, this flew in the face of a tyrannical, oppressive family leadership 2,000 years ago. And it also flies in the face of that as well in 2015. You are of no less value than me. That's what mutual submission acknowledges. And then, here's the third thing about mutual submission. Mutual submission, here's the question. Mutual submission asks, what can I do to help? What can I do to help? That's the game changer right there. 
beginning to ask that question in our families. What can I do to help? What can I do to lighten your load? What can I do to my spouse, asking my spouse, how can I help you to achieve your objectives? How can I make your day easier? How can I come alongside and and be a strength to you? How can I leverage my resources, my influence, my power, my strength to benefit you? That's the game changer. Total game changer in husband-wife relationships. Total game changer in parent-to-child and child-to-parent relationships. What can I do to help? And men, uh, let me talk to the guys for just a minute. Ladies, don't look at your husbands right now. Men, let's, let's, let's be honest. Th- th- this question scares us to death, doesn't it? it? Scares me to death. It scares me to death to think, wait a minute, I'm supposed to ask my wife, what can I do to help? Because I'm afraid it's going to be like, well, it's about time, buddy. Here it is. And here comes this huge list. That's what I'm afraid of. This huge list. I've been waiting 20 years for you to say that. 25 years for you to say that. And, And it scares us, doesn't it? What's the fear? What's the fear that we have? You know what the fear is? That we'll be taken advantage of. And isn't that awful? If we're ever taken advantage of? just like Jesus was? And he was our Savior? And he was our Lord? And we don't doubt his love for us for a moment? When we spitefully used him, didn't want anything to do with him, and he leveraged all of his power and his strength and gave up all of his rights for love for you and me? What can I do to help? See, it's not because now husbands and wives and the whole family together, if I can have your attention back, it's not because my wife is perfect that I'm supposed to do this. It's not based on how I feel about her at the moment. It's completely based on reverence for Christ. Submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. Awe of Jesus Christ. Follow in his footsteps. That's the picture. Listen, you know, for me personally as a, as a husband, as a father, I, I, I live in a home with four women and uh, it is a reservoir of estrogen. Let me just put it that way. And, and uh, I was talking with my wife about this, actually, and, and I said, what is the best way that I help you? You know, and, and really just discussing this, and she's like, honey, you know what you do. You just bring stability and calm. Stability and calm. That's the way that you help more than any other way that's so important in our house. I'm not a Mr. Fix-It. I can't make you a table out of wood or or anything like that. Uh, Changing light bulbs is an accomplishment for me. I'm not really a Home Depot guy. I'm a Barnes & Noble guy, okay? Enough said. But, but, But she encouraged me, said, honey, make sure you say this in the message. So I got that checked off right there. So 
How can I help? Just bringing stability. Because we have three daughters, we don't want to raise a bunch of mama dramas. That's not helpful. And sure, I would like my future son-in-laws, if God wills, to say, you did a great job, father-in-law. Thank you so much. And so that's one of the greatest ways that I've found in my family, my home, women's dormitory, that uh, how can I help? Just keeping things steady and level without all the highs and lows, ups and downs all throughout. This question is so powerful. It's a game changer. What can I do to help? This question opens your heart to your family instead of keeping them at arm's distance. See, husbands, dads, if we never ask this question, there's no way we'll ever experience the ideal in our marriages. There's no way we'll ever experience the ideal, even come close to it in our families. Because in actuality, we're keeping our wives at arm's distance. We're keeping our children at arm's distance. This question drops our arms and opens our hearts. How can I leverage all of my strength, all of my power, all of my resources, not to benefit me, but to benefit you, spouse, to benefit you, children. Listen, let me talk to the young people for just a minute. You want to blow your parents' heads off? You ask them this question when you get home. Or better yet, wait till they have family and friends over some night for dinner. And while you're sitting there, just walk up and say, Mom, Dad, how can I help? You know what's going to happen? First of all, your parents, after they recover from smelling salts because they pass out, the next thing that's going to happen is this. The, the friends that are over, they're going to say, what have you done with those kids and how can we train our kids uh, and raise them that way? That, that's how powerful this is. As a young person, you want to gain complete control over your family and your parents? Ask that question and then do it. What can I do to help? It's a total game changer. It is the question of mutual submission. It's what mutual submission asks. What can I do to help? Because you know what this does? Like I said, instead of keeping arms distance people and our family and our spouse, it lowers our arms, it opens our hearts, and we become other-centered, just like Jesus, instead of self-centered. And, and, and maybe you haven't connected the dots yet about life, but unselfish people are happier people. Unselfish people are a lot happier than self-centered people. Because there is something about when I help someone else out, when I help someone else achieve what's in their heart, when I help someone else's dream come true, you know what? It just brings tremendous amount of happiness to us. It's incredibly healthy. What can I do to help? How can I lighten your load? How can I make your day just a little bit easier than it would be otherwise if I wasn't involved with your day? When parents and kids embrace this selflessness, Everybody in the family is so much happier. And, and I just want to challenge you, try it this week. Try it at home. If you're married, try it. If you have kids, try it. And, and watch the response and the shock 
and then watch the transformation begin to happen just by simply asking the question, what can I do to help? Now, I know what the pushback kind of is here, uh, and, and that is, well, you know, Ephesians 5 there, Greg, you're just touching on a couple verses, and because of the time constraint that we have, obviously can't go into everything, but it's the, the big question is, does this mean no one is the ultimate authority in the home? I mean, what you're talking about, if, if, a, if a man, if a husband mutually submits, even though that's exactly what the Bible says, but if a husband does this, who's the boss? Who's, who's the head? Who's in charge? Does it mean that no one is the ultimate authority in the home? Absolutely not. Who has ever questioned Jesus' ultimate authority in the church? He's the head of the church. It doesn't mean that, that mutual submission doesn't mean that I don't make a decision. Mutual submission doesn't mean that I don't have a voice, that the bottom line, the buck doesn't stop somewhere. That, that, none of those things have to do with mutual submission. Jesus had a voice. Jesus had an opinion. Jesus was disciple, was, was, was uh, uh, made disciples. Jesus was uh, decisive. Jesus also submitted and he laid down his life for your benefit and for mine. And that is why he is the head of the church. Beautiful, beautiful picture. This is not, mutual submission is not about relinquishing authority. Let me say that again. Mutual submission is not about relinquishing authority. It's about leveraging authority properly. That's what mutual submission is about. Leverage, it's about using authority properly to benefit others, not myself. To benefit others. Now, it's pretty funny. You know, I know, the, I know there is a rude awakening just over the horizon for me and for my family, personally. Uh, our, our oldest daughter is in college um, and already, and our second daughter, our middle daughter, she's going to be going away in August to college. She's graduating from high school. And, and then we just have about 18 months left with a child at home, and then they're all going to be at college. And there's a lot of things I'm so thankful for. There's a lot of things that our girls do around the house. They're going to be gone. And boy, this question scares me to death. Because I'm going to be doing chores that three daughters have been doing for like 20 years or so. It doesn't mean by asking the question that I'm not the final decision maker. What it does mean is it's a greater opportunity to serve my wife. And to leverage the responsibility and the strength and the power and the influence that God's given to me personally to greater benefit her. That's what it means. And so, again, this idea of mutual submission is not about relinquishing authority. It's about using authority properly. How do you use it properly? Mutual submission. A few weeks back, I, I heard this saying, and it's just really, really stuck with me in my mind. I love this. It's a Chinese proverb. The taller the bamboo grows, the lower it bends. That's pretty awesome, isn't it? The taller the bamboo grows, the lower that it bends. 
So, so husband, if you're all that powerful and head of the house and man's man and all, you should be bending a lot lower than anyone else in your family. I love that. The taller the bamboo grows, the lower that it bends. And so maybe you're here today and, and uh, like I said, you're just kind of checking this out, this whole Jesus thing. You know what? This doesn't really uh, apply to you. It really doesn't. If you're a Christian here today, it does. <laughs> Again, that commandment, submit to one another out of reverence for Christ, it applies to every follower of Jesus Christ. The application that we see in the next verse to wives. But if you're here today and... Uh, you're not a Christ follower, it'll still work for you. This whole idea, this concept, because God is the one who created family, God is the one who created, it was his idea, originator of family and marriage, you can actually begin to work this out and begin to apply this to your life and you'll begin to see change in your own marriage, in your own family. That's what, how powerful this idea of mutual submission is. What can I do to help you? What can I do to help you? But I would say this, you know, try it out for sure if you're not a Christian. But something else that I want you to understand if you're here today just kind of searching, just kind of checking out the whole Jesus thing, why not not only apply it, but why not just take a moment and think about how Jesus has already given an example of what this looks like. In Romans chapter 5, verse 6, listen to this passage, verses 6 through 8, through the ears of mutual submission. You see, just at the right time, when we were still powerless, Christ died for the ungodly. Christ leveraged his power when we were powerless. He submitted he leveraged his influence, his power, all the things, all his rights and privileges for your benefit and mine. And then he goes on and say in the next verse, verse seven, very rarely will anyone die for a righteous person. For a really good person, very rarely will someone lay their life down in their place. Though for a good person, someone might possibly dare to die. When people are, you know, I, I love this person, I'll take their place, I'll lay down my life, I'll sacrifice myself. Look at what ne next verse says, verse eight. But God demonstrates his own love for us in this, while we were still sinners, powerless, Christ died for us. He's the, per he's the perfect picture. He's the example to follow of mutual submission. Jesus applied his power, his influence, and his resources at the point of our greatest need when we didn't even think we needed him. That's what this verse says. God demonstrates his own love for us in this while we were still sinners when we didn't even think we needed him. Christ died for you. Even if you're searching today, Christ died for you. He laid his life down because he loves you so much. He asked, in essence, <laughs> turned to our Heavenly Father and said, what can I do to help? And our Heavenly Father said, I, I need you to go. I need you to go. I need you to lay aside 
all that you deserve as my son and take on the, the shape and the form of human flesh as a little baby and I need you to live among them and then I need you and they need you to sacrifice your life and lay down your life for them. And he said, okay, that's what I'll do. Here's the thing about this question, what can I do to help? When you want to ask it the least is the time that you need to ask it the most. When it's the hardest thing to do, when it's the hardest statement to push through your lips and out into the air, that is the exact time that we need to ask the question the most. What can I do to help? I'm real excited in the fall as we're doing this series uh, right now and really kind of hitting on some of the high points in terms of family. In the fall, we have plans uh, uh, here at Valley Christian Church. We're going to be reintroducing Marriage Matters, a great event that we have from time to time. We're going to be reintroducing Parenting on Purpose. And we can go a lot deeper uh, in, in those evenings on a, on a regular, more of a regular basis than just even a series. But for today, let me encourage you. Hopefully I've inspired you. I think I've probably challenged you to ask this game changer question. In your marriage, in your family, what can I do to help? I'm gonna ask right now, would you bow your heads with me? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, Lord, we thank you for how practical your word is. And Lord, we've, we've, sometimes we've made such a mess of it and we've misunderstood and we've miscommunicated and misinterpreted. But Father, I pray that, that today as we've just really zeroed in on Ephesians chapter five, verse 21, that your Holy Spirit would just continue to give us understanding and, and walking out this game-changing idea and to begin to ask that game-changing question, what can I do to help? Thank you so much, Lord, for sending your son that he answered, that, that he responded to that question that we had that great, great need and that he came and he took our sins upon himself and he laid his life down to pay the price for our personal sins that we might be forgiven by you and free. And Father, help us, give us courage by your Holy Spirit to live this game-changing question out over the next week. In Jesus' name, amen. Let me say this. Next week, we're gonna actually have a guest speaker uh, named Josh Lipscomb. You don't want to miss it. It's just a great friends of ours uh, from Liberty Church, Pensacola, Florida. And uh, you want to make plans to be here for that. And then two weeks from now, we're going to pick up the series again. And we're going to just focus in, zone in once again in future family on why do families fight and what can we do about it? How can we really make sure disagreements end up in progress instead of regress? I hope you make plans to be here.